So we've we've spent a long time looking at uh, some different series, and we're we're kind of now in this process of we've got our second birthday coming up in a couple of weeks, um, as a church, which is great. So we've got a couple of weeks where we've just got some some space just to be able to talk about different things. Um, and when I looked at, um, I suppose it's the end of the summer. Uh, for some of us, that means nothing, does it? Like most, some of us have been like, everyone bangs on about the start of New Year. It's just carrying on. New Year is January for me. And so, so for different people, it's different things. But, but sometimes psychologically, there's a shift, isn't there? At various points in the year where if we're going to try something new, maybe we start that in January or maybe September. It almost feels like a new beginning for some people. Um, and even if you, your life just carries on as normal, um, sometimes there's kind of the habits that we get into that when September arrives, we start thinking, OK, summer's over. We've now got to get into a new routine. Um, sometimes we even if even if our, our circumstances don't change, sometimes there's a bit of a shift um, anyway. So I want to talk to us a little bit about, um, I suppose, our, our kind of mindset and our approach to this kind of this new season, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Uh, I want to start by looking um, at two stories in the Bible. Um, we've got a, a couple of practical things we're going to do today. I, I'm going to get us to, to write something down in a little bit. Uh, I've got some paper. And then we're going to finish by taking communion together. Um, because I don't know about you, but sometimes when the momentum of life kicks in, sometimes doing something like uh, taking communion is a leveller. And a reminder of, of who we are, of who God is, uh, and the importance of our connection with him. So I'm going to read you um, a couple of little snippets from the Bible. And I'll explain them uh, after, I've, after I've read them. Um, but I've, I've called my talk today, What Do You Want Me To Do For You? And um, I'm going to start by reading a little passage in Luke 18. It's verses 35 to 42. Um, and it says this, uh, it's entitled, A Blind Beggar Receives His Sight. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So it's a short story, but you'll see where I'm going as, as we unpack at what we're talking about but when you look at that story the issue seems obvious the guy is a blind beggar uh, who sits on the streets asking people for money the reason he's there is he has no sight and he has no way of earning any money there's no disability allowance there's nothing like that and um, this the, is the cards that he's been dealt and this is his life so when you imagine that story unfolding, the people who were with Jesus rebuked the guy, told him to shut up and keep out of the way because he was being an irritant. But Jesus, when he sees this guy, walks up to him and he asks probably what you would consider the most ridiculous question on the planet in that moment. <coughs> what do you want me to do for you? 
it seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? A blind man begging on the streets. What, what could he need? It's not rocket science in that moment that what that guy probably needs is to be healed. But Jesus still asks that question. The, the need is obvious, but Jesus still asks the question. What do you want me to do for you? So I'm going to jump to another story. Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Okay, so it says Jesus forgives and heals a paralysed man. So Mark 2 starts with this. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was laying on. Uh, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Another situation where the need of the person seems pretty obvious. So what is seen by the human eye, what is understood by the crowd who are around there as a man on a mat who's paralysed is lowered through a roof that's been smashed in in order to get to Jesus. I mean, that's desperate measures. But I love the fact that that's what they decided to do in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. As he's lowered down in front of them, what Jesus does is not what you expect. He doesn't. He does heal the man. The man is told to get up and walk. But once again... It's not the obvious thing that he does. What he says first and foremost is this, son, your sins are forgiven. You look at it and go, the guy's lying on a map. There's probably something else that needs sorting out as well at this time. That, that you're going for his sins are forgiven. But actually, the obvious need was that the guy was lying on a mat and he needed to be able to be healed and to walk. But Jesus, once again... Um, seems to go for a slightly different tack that that changes uh, the way the situation, well, it doesn't change the way the situation goes, it just changes this emphasis on what is most important in that moment. And what we see in that is as Jesus says to the guy, your sins are forgiven, what he's making us realise is that, yeah, this bloke's physical healing is really important, but the most important thing eternally is that his sins are forgiven and that he's reconnected with Father God. That's the most important thing. And, and Jesus, I suppose, in a way, is, is enlightening the group of people that, that, yeah, healing, physical healing in a moment is great and is fantastic. But the most important thing in this moment is that this guy's sins are forgiven and he is free and liberated from that and is able to be truly connected with God again. So there's a clear message from Jesus in both of these two scenarios, okay? And it's this, the main thing that we, may, that we see may not always be the whole story. So whether it's a blind man sat begging on the street and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Or a bloke who can't walk, who's lowered through a ceiling and Jesus forgives his sins. The main thing that needs to happen might not always be the thing that we see. I don't know if anyone's ever heard anyone talk about icebergs. I was uh, filming at a conference, a head teachers conference back in January. Uh, and this lady came in um, who was doing all of the keynote sessions. And she was talking about um, mindfulness and all this kind of stuff. 
uh, and psychology to these head teachers and she was trying to encourage them to think differently about how they um, support and understand and manage their staff and the parents and all these kind of things that are in their, their all these people who they're connected with in their schools and she talked about icebergs and talked about how actually it's just the only bit that you see of an iceberg in the water is is 10% of the whole of the iceberg that's often the case that, that what you see with your eyes is just 10% of a much bigger more complex picture she wanted to talk about how actually that same analogy is true for people that what we see in in an encounter with someone or in a, in a relationship sometimes or a conversation is only um is probably only uh, 10% of what is going on in that person's world. So how they feel, how they think. We've talked about it for the last six or seven weeks. Your inner story is the 90% of the iceberg that we've talked about. The 10% is your outer story that everyone sees. Okay, But when we imagine that this is the reality for, for all of us, the 90% is what's going on under the surface that is unknown to most people. And what we see in Jesus... In that moment, as he, as he heals the blind man, um, but asks him beforehand, what do you want me to do for you? He's aware that there's 90% going on in people's lives. That it might be something different from what um, is seen or assumed or, or just expected as we look at someone else's life. And I suppose when we think about ourselves... The question for us is, what is the 10% that people see? Because you know what the, you know the 100%, don't you? Some of us might, might not know all of that. There might be some mysteries in our own lives. We talked about how our inner story is sometimes unknown to us. The impact that things have, have, have had on us in our lives. But the reality is, when you think about what is the 10% that people see of me, what is the assumption that people make and that people imagine is, is what is going on in my life, that sometimes doesn't always sit that comfortably with the 90% of the, the hidden reality of what might be going on in your life. And I want you to imagine today, if Jesus was to approach you as he did the blind man on that street, and he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? What is it that you would actually say? Because the 10% is, oh, I can't see, I'm blind, I'm, I'm, I'm begging in order to survive. That is a core, that, like, let's not go, get this situation wrong. That's the guy's core need. We can see that in that moment. But Jesus is acknowledging that, that it's still worth asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? Because sometimes what is an obvious problem might only be a very small part of a much bigger issue that you know is deep rooted in your life. So when you think about that, Jesus comes to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? And the reason I want to talk about this today is that this time of year can be pivotal. Some people it's, it's just another month, but it can, can be pivotal. As you come to the end of summer, uh, whether you've had a chance to have a rest or a holiday or, or, um, or relax, or, or maybe it's the first time you've had a chance to stop. Um, there's something about this time of year, the same as with January, where we can often reset. And some of the temptation when we get to these points is that there's a tendency to say, OK, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to uh, sort out my life or how am I going to improve who I am or how am I going to develop myself? How am I going to push myself further? 
And the problem is, in our desire to be people who are more like Jesus or, or more like who Jesus would be if he was us, um, in our pursuit of that, sometimes we can constantly be trying to pressurise ourselves to be better and to improve. Now, I know God wants us all to grow wants us to develop and he knows that we can uh, do more than we can do but sometimes you know what if we constantly feel like there's this pressure to always get better that is exhausting at times isn't it and sometimes you feel man I just need to rest and that's why I wanted to look at this question today we are not going to ask what can you do to be better because I don't think for all of us some of us are ready for always ready for those kind of questions, but I don't think for all of us we have to demand that we change and we and that we have to push ourselves to be better at this moment in time. That's a long that's a long process. Okay, we're committed to that. When we enter into a relationship with God, He's going to keep tweaking and changing us and encouraging us to grow and develop. But for now, the question is, what do you want me to do for you? And that's, a, that's it's not about how can you improve. What do you want me to do for you? I want us to, to have a brief think about a couple of things. I'll come back to what we've just been talking about at the moment. But I want us to think about the names of God. I don't know what your understanding of God is. Sometimes when we connect with God, there's one particular thing that connects him, connects us to him. And that's the thing we cling to in our lives. But God is amazing. And has the ability to be so many different things at different times to different people. And I've been reading this week um, about some of the, the various names and attributes of God. And as we ponder that question, what could Jesus do for me? I want us to consider the names of God and what that could mean for you and me, depending on what's going on in your life. So I'm going to go through some of these names um, and give you a, a brief explanation of what they mean. And as we're going through them, grab hold of the ones that you know you need at the moment. Okay, so first one, Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd. So if you need guidance and support and navigation and care and consideration in your life at the moment, the shepherd is the one who provides that for you. God can be that for you. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd. shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. If you're stuck in stuff at the moment where you're going, man, I need something to change. I need provision. I need something um, just to, to fill a gap or, or I need God to provide for me whether that's emotionally or financially um, or relationally, spiritually, whatever it might be, God can provide for you. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. If you've got things going on in your life or people in your life that you know are, are suffering with illness and pain and discomfort and, and are struggling with that, then God can be the God who heals. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. This is a difficult term to understand nowadays. We don't use this term righteousness an awful lot. The problem is when you start digging into it, it seems to jar against the way our society goes. It's talking about living right, being moral in the way that you live. And sometimes when we think about what it looks like to be someone who is righteous, 
we can put people up on a pedestal and almost treat them like they're really annoying because they're always doing the right thing. Or It doesn't have to be a negative thing. What it means is someone who pursues a right way of living and thinking and behaving and considering all of those different kind of things. And when we're truly connected with God, the, the byproduct of that is people who live in the right kind of way. And if you need realignment in that and need um, support in that, then God can be um, Jehovah Sid Kenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Um Kadesh, the God who sanctifies, which means the God who cleanses you of all sin. Sin isn't a term that we use particularly nowadays. But if there's stuff in your life that needs to be washed out in order for you to feel like you can live uh, a more wholesome, fruitful and, and positive, beneficial life, then um, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the God who sanctifies, is the thing that could wash through your life and, and give you um, that kind of um, thing that you need. Jehovah Nissi, God our banner. This is a difficult one to explain because it almost seems like it's a bit of a bit of a strange one. God our banner. It comes from a time in Exodus where where Moses had just defeated a particular army. Um, and he defeated them not with an army that was fully trained and equipped. It was it was a real random mix of people. And in a way, in all in all kind of normal rules, they never should have won the battle. But they won the battle because God was with them. And as a, as a sign of that and as a celebration of the victory that they just had in this battle, um, Moses makes an altar and he calls it Jehovah Nissi, which is God our banner. It's a sign and an acknowledgement that as they went through challenges and battles, God was with them and right by their side. And maybe for some of you, it's a case that you need to acknowledge that and, and sit with God um, alongside you and, and God being the reason and the motivation and the, the, um, the foundation behind your journey and your battle. And then the last one, which I think is my favourite, uh, is Jehovah Shema, which means the God who is there. And the reason I love it is because sometimes we sensationalise everything to do with our walk with God. And we make we, we kind of make it into um, big trumpet sounds and fanfares about, oh, look at this amazing thing that's happened here. Or isn't this awesome? Isn't this phenomenal? We use these kind of words that actually are overused because the reality is most of us live a life where it's just normal and ordinary. And, and sometimes when sensational things aren't happening, when when we're used to God turning up and doing dramatic things, we see him. Being present in the big things, in the big moments, in the big experiences when I feel warm and fluffy and all these kind of things. That's when I know that God's there. The fact is, Jehovah Shammah is the reality for all of us every single day. He is the God who is there with you. Because 95% of your life is the ordinary. Is getting up, cleaning your teeth, um, going out to work. Uh, doing your job, getting back, trying to sort out your life and your house and your world, going to bed, starting it all over again. That is the reality of what we live in. There's these great moments where it seems to get better and there's highlights. And you know what? There's the valley moments where it's pretty dark and pretty low. But 90% or probably more, 95% of our lives is just living in normality, in ordinary life. 
And God is most interested in just being a part of that. So Jehovah Shammah, for me, the God who is there, is probably one of the most important things for us to cling to. So those are the names of God that I want us to think about and cling to. And for each and every person in this room, there'll be a different thing that resonates for you. And do you know what? The great thing with him is he's prepared to be different things at different times, depending on what's going on in your world. So as you start this September um, and, you, and maybe there's new things on the horizon or maybe there's uh, a sense of exhaustion or tiredness or weariness from, from um, the last block of time and you need a re-energising moving forward, think about who God is and who he can be for you. I'm reminded as well when we, when we think about God that he's these three things. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. And he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. So everything that's going on in your world, he already knows it. But what's quite good is if we develop a habit of opening up all of those cupboards where we put stuff and inviting him to shine some light into that. Sometimes we get precious about, oh, I'm not prepared to deal with that with God at the moment. Well, there's a news flash. He already knows about it. And actually, if you just let him in, let him in then something can can improve and and develop with that situation if he's allowed to influence that so if this is who god is if he's all these things if he's your shepherd your provider your healer if he's righteousness if he's the one who sanctifies you if he's if he's the banner that is over your life if he's the one who is here and he's all knowing he's all powerful and he's uh, he's everywhere if that's who he is then You've got to ask the question, what can he be for each of us? You need to consider those attributes as we answer the question from Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? So today is not a morning of expectation of how are you going to be better? Today is uh, we, we land in front of Jesus and he simply asks us that question. What do you want me to do for you? So what we're going to do is we're just going to have some time uh, to think uh, going to have a moment just to just to think about our own lives and I'm going to hand out some little pieces of paper uh, and, a, and a pencil and I want you to write down you're not going to have to share anything don't worry you're not going to it's not like group therapy um, just write it down and fold it up and we're going to put a um, we're going to um, put a, a basket or a bowl or something like that in the middle of the room and you can just throw it in there, not in the way of discarding it and saying, I'm letting go of this. What it is is a sign of saying, I am aware of my need. And when you ask me that question, what do you need me to do for you? This is what I want. And it's just a sign of something that you're giving to God. Because for every single person in here, it will be entirely different. And you always need to know we are not fitting into a mould. God is interested in a relationship with you um, and you can be 100% honest with him. So think about those names. You don't need to write down which of the names you need. Just cling on to that. But think about if Jesus came to you today, there might be some obvious things that, that everyone else would say, oh yeah, they need that in their life. But actually you know, what is it I need Jesus to do for me today? just as these guys are finishing so whatever is going on for you at the moment that name Jehovah Shammah is is true for each and every one of us
he is the God who is there. Whether you connect with him or not in those moments is your choice. But he is there. He is present. He is available. Um, and as we look around the room, there is a multitude of different <laughs> situations. And that's why I wanted to do this today, because I, saw, I thought we can't do a generic message that pushes everyone to be better. Because sometimes... We feel like we're broken and we just need to be put back together. And when someone's telling us that you need to improve yourself, sometimes you're like, man, I'm just trying to survive at the moment, I'm trying to get out of bed. Um, so, Father God, as we, as we think about everything that's been written and put in that bowl, we, we give that to you today. And we ask you, that you would just be so present in our lives. And as we consider the names that you're described, the attributes that are given to you and how you're described uh, throughout the Bible, God, we need you in all of those ways. And for every person here, it will be a different thing that the core need is. But God, I just pray that we connect with you from today in a way of, of feeling like we are no longer alone. We are understood and more than anything, we are supported by you in whatever we need. Help us to be people who develop a healthy pattern of coming to you and, and asking for help asking for guidance, asking for support, asking for provision, for healing, um, all of these different things. I just pray, God, that you would be our first port of call in whatever's going on. And that we'd be people who tell a story that is full of reality, of the journeys that we've been on. But there's a story of continued resilience that goes along because we chose to cling to you in whatever we went through. Amen.